Welcome to Tanakh Daily, a Congregation Ahavas Torah initiative. Today, we are discussing the 21st parak of Melachim Bet, where the kingdom of Yehuda, the only remaining kingdom of Israel, begins to take a terrible nosedive. Following the generally outstanding and righteous rule of King Chizkiah, filled with all sorts of important religious reforms which move the nation in the right direction, uh, King Chizkiah passes away and his son, Menashe, takes the throne. Now, names are always worth uh, paying attention to in Tanakh. Often they're very telling and gives a, give us an insight. The name Menashe is, is one that we're familiar with. When else have we encountered a Menashe? Yosef in Sefer Bereshis names his son Menashe. And the reason for that is, Because God has made me forget all of my toil and all of my father's house. The name Menashe at its root reflects a kind of forgetfulness. And this is so apropos for King Menashe, because his, his reign marks a kind of forgetting, a great forgetting, right? The great erasure of his father's outstanding tenure as king and all of the miracles that took place and all of the reforms that took place under Chizkiah, they're all forgotten once Menashe takes the throne. Menashe not only undoes all of these efforts, but he goes to the absolute opposite extreme. And he has a rap sheet uh, that, that includes kind of every violation under the sun. The parak outlines idolatry, uh, m- m- uh, magic, sorcery, child sacrifice, and murder uh, on top of all of that. And the parak makes it clear that be- because of uh, Menashe's terrible behavior and terrible leadership, wicked leadership of the nation, the, the nation has essentially become uh, the equivalent, the moral and religious equivalent to the uh, Amorites who dwelled in the land before the Bnei Israel got there and who themselves were driven out because of their sins. And therefore, Bnei Israel is going to suffer the same fate. And they are also going to be driven out of the land. So at this point, there is, uh, it's, it's clear that the, the nation is kind of careening towards uh, that moment. And uh, to some extent, the, you know, this is that defining uh, the defining reign, which pushes the nation uh, almost irrevocably uh, towards that end. However, it doesn't happen right away. Uh, after 55 years of rule, Menashe actually dies. And not only does he live out this very lengthy rule, but he's replaced by his son, uh, Amon. And we learn uh, that, uh, that uh, as this parak continues, that Amon follows in all of the wicked ways of his father. In fact, the rabbis tell us that he even surpasses his father's wickedness. He himself only rules for two years before he is assassinated. Um, and, um, uh, and with that, uh, that's kind of the, the, the major dimensions of this parak. That's the kind of the conclusion of the parak. We'll revisit one other detail in a moment. But first, I want to ask... Uh, a very basic question. There's something so surprising uh, about about Menashe's reign. We would think, based on the internal logic of the Sefer, that when you have a king who is so wicked, so terrible, that they would be short-lived and that the nation would pu- would be punished as a result and he would be punished as a result. Uh, but that doesn't seem to be the case for Menashe. Menashe lives, as I said, he lives a nice long life. He rules for 55 years, which is completely unique. It is such a long reign and that reflects stability. There's a fin- We know from other sources also there's financial stability. The, the nation as a whole does pretty well under Menashe, despite the fact that he is so wicked. And, and in fact, he gets to see his own son succeed him. So so uh, how do we kind of square that with our expectations that a wicked king should have a short-lived and, and uh, you know, should suffer the consequences of their wickedness um, during, their, during their lifetime? 
Uh, and, and here, Divrei Hayamim actually fills in a really critical gap. Uh, we're told in Divrei Hayamim that Menashe at one point really is punished and that the Assyrians attack and they take him captive and they, 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 they torture him and they, they uh, embarrass him. Um, but in the course of this experience, he actually does tshuva and he returns to Hashem. And as a result, he is saved and is returned to the throne to live out the remainder of his time uh, and the remainder of his rule. The rabbis really take Menashe as a result to be this paradigm of tshuva, that even the wicked King Menashe, uh, who, who did you know, such incredibly bad things and led the, the nation astray as king, even he is not a lost cause. Certainly, we can take solace that we, uh, being not nearly as wicked and terrible, uh, can can do tshuva and can also experience a full kind of redemption. That helps us understand how his reign could have ended up being as stable as it ultimately was. But we then have a, a second question, which is, well, then why isn't any of that written in Melachim? All of that is so uh, glaringly absent. And perhaps we, we can we can say that the Sefer is just not interested, really, in the personal experience of the king. Uh, the fact that uh, that he did what he did in the, in, the, in his wicked years, uh, it's all that really matters because the damage is done, meaning that the nation was led, the train had left the station, it was too late, and any change that happened in Menashe's own experience in his own life uh, is, is, is really beside the point, right? Sefer Malachim is interested in us knowing uh, the impact that the kings had, the negative impact that the kings had on the nation, the fact that Menashe and his private life might have gotten things together, uh, as I said, it's really beside the point. So maybe that's why Melachim doesn't include this. Certainly worth thinking some more about because it's really quite a glaring omission. Uh, I'll conclude with just one more point. It's, it's, it's interesting to note that the parak concludes by telling us that people conspired against Amon, Menashe's son, uh, and killed him after just two years of reign. Uh, but uh, his loyalists then fight back and they, they reinstall or they install his son, Yoshiahu, to be the next king, continuing the dynasty. Now, the, the Sefer doesn't give us the rationale, the reason behind the assassination, but in my mind, I connected to an earlier point when, when we're told earlier in the Perek that Menashe filled Yerushalayim with blood, that he was responsible for lots of murder within Yerushalayim. So that is understood uh, by, uh, by the Mefarshim and by Chazal to uh, reflect him kind of killing those who opposed his religious ag- agenda. So he was killing people that were uh, people who followed the Torah and wanted to follow uh, you know, the, 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 the mitzvot therein and, and the, the mandate and the covenants of the Jewish people. So uh, Chazal, in fact, say that he killed none other than uh, Yeshaya Hanavi. Uh, so we imagine... Uh, that there was, you know, the, these kind of uh, loyalists, these perhaps even zealots for Hashem and for Torah who were fighting against Menashe. And maybe it was these very same people, or that, right, if not the same individuals, but the same ideology, uh, th- those types of people who were opposing the, the paganism, who were opposing the idolatry, who were opposing the uh, all of the immoral behavior, who were responsible for assassinating Amon. If that's the case, then there's actually really a great irony here. Why? Because they kill Amun because they want to depose him and they want to put a, a religious leader in power, right? A, a, a traditional, uh, traditionally religious pow- um, individual in power. Um, the loyalists to Amun end up overthrowing, right? End up uh, being able to quash this uh, this coup and this attempt to usurp the throne, um, and they're able to then put Amun's son 
onto the throne, which they imagine to be a, a continuation of the same, you know, dynastic rule and the same ide- ideology that was put forth by Menashe and put forth by Ammon. What ends up happening, though, is that who do they put on the throne? They put Yoshiahu on the throne. Yoshiahu uh, is actually going to be the one who takes the nation back in the, in a better direction. And he actually is a king fashioned much more after his great-grandfather, Chizkiah. Uh, and we'll learn more about that in the uh, in the Prakim ahead and in our next podcast. That's it for today. Chazak ve'ematz and happy learning.